On your behalf, I am delighted to welcome today's guest speaker and EVE Award recipient, the Honourable Kathleen Wynne, Premier of Ontario. Let's... Let's, let's begin by asking the Premier to draw a business card. The lucky winner will receive a bottle of premium Ontario Amarone-styled wine from the Foreign Affair Winery pioneered and owned by Canadian Club member Len Crispino. Uh, and the winner is Huri Juan, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, Senior Manager, Government Affairs Market Access. If you could raise your hand. Lynn will bring you your uh, wine. Congratulations and congratulations to your whole table. Now please allow me to introduce your head table. Head table guests, please stand as I recognize you and remain standing until everyone has been introduced and the toast has been made. Ladies and gentlemen, please hold your applause until all have been introduced. First, Leslie Byrne, Chair, Toronto Chapter, Equal Voice. Julia Monroe, MPP, York Simcoe. Adam Kahan, Vice President, University Advancement, Ryerson University, and Vice President, the Canadian Club of Toronto. Sherry DeNovo, MPP, Parkdale, High Park. Raylene Langdion, National Chair, Equal Voice. Alison Lote, Co-Founder and Executive Director, Samara, Immediate Past President, the Canadian Club of Toronto. The Honourable Jean Augustine, Fairness Commissioner for Ontario. And of course, our guest speaker today, the Honourable Kathleen Wynne, Premier of Ontario, MPP for Don Valley West. On behalf of the Canadian Club of Toronto and Equal Voice, I would like to take a moment to express our special thanks to today's premium table sponsors. They are the Johnson & Johnson family of companies, the Egg Farmers of Ontario, Extendicare, Rosemary Spears, Alcon, Cisco, the CG Group, and Glencore. Thank you so much for your support. <clears throat> And finally, a big thank you to all of our women and men in municipal, provincial, and federal government, as well as candidates, for being with us today. Would everyone who is a sitting member or a candidate for office please rise so that we may acknowledge you. Thank you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome Leslie Byrne, Chair of Equal Voice, Toronto Chapter, to our podium to say a few words. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, and thank you to the Canadian Club for being a wonderful partner to us uh, in this event for the last eight years. Um, this event was the 
fastest selling ticket in town. Um, and uh, we filled this room quickly and had to squeeze in around the corners. So um, for those of you in the far corners of the room, um, it's just because we love you that much <laughs> that you're here. Um, a couple of uh, shout outs today. First of all, if you have your blackberries out, and I know a few of you do, um, feel free to follow us on Twitter at Equal Voice TO and use the hashtag uh, at uh, EV Award, EVE Award, if you want to talk about what's happening right now. Um, I just want to introduce you to a couple of interesting people today that you may not know. Uh, our founder, Rosemary Spears. This way. We would not be here without Rosemary today. Uh, Donna Dasko, our past Equal Voice National Chair. Donna. Uh, you've met Raylene Langdion, our nas current national chair. And uh, Nancy Peckford. Nancy, where are you? Our Equal Voice National, or Director. <laughs> Uh, my Toronto Chapter Co-Chair, Rebecca Scott-Ron. I think I saw you, Becky. There she is. <laughs> uh, and the two women who uh, worked tirelessly with late-night calls and dozens and dozens and dozens of emails, Erica Raymond and Natalie Disemini. You rock. Thank you. I want to do a special shout out to our national sponsors, Johnson & Johnson Family of Companies, uh, the Egg Farmers of Ontario, Extendicare, Air Canada, thank you. Uh, and finally, I just want to talk for a second about the award um, and why we're here today. When we first started Equal Voice in 2001, 12 years ago, we used to hold up a picture um, that was taken at the annual Premier's Conference uh, with the Prime Minister and 12 guys. And we used to say, what's wrong with this picture? It was such an easy gesture. Well, we don't get to do that anymore, which is a fantastic thing. <laughs> with uh, thanks, of course, to uh, the wonderful Kathleen Wynne, but the other women in this room who've uh, stepped up to run for electoral office. I know those uh, numbers will continue to change, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, but the battle is not won uh, across the country in the national legislature and in the provincial legislatures and even in uh, at city councils. We're still hovering around the 25% mark, and that's not good enough. So um, that's why we continue to have these events, uh, and that's why um, we're here today. So my job is to introduce you to a woman who doesn't really need any introduction. Um, but I wanted to tell you why we chose her today. Um, we chose her not because she's the first woman premier uh, of Ontario, although, okay, that helped. <laughs> but we chose her because we look for women who contribute to the cause of women in politics. And we watched 
while she rose through the ranks in cabinet and while she ran her leadership and how she built teams around her, how she drew together coalitions, how she led and how she led differently. Um, and we are huge, huge fans of leading differently. So Ms. Wynn, congratulations and thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm pleased to introduce formally today's special guest and Equal Voice honoree. Nine months ago, she was at another Canadian Club of Toronto event. On that day in December, she was one of seven candidates vying for the Ontario Liberal leadership. And the rest, as they say, is history. Our province has welcomed its first female premier. She brings to the role a solid track record of winning, winning over detractors and opponents, and winning many a political battle. For the past 10 years, she has fought many political battles at Queen's Park, and in those battles, she has won. It's what you might call a win-win solution, <laughs> pun intended. The MPP for Don Valley West has served not only her constituency, but the province well. Before being elected as the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, the Honorable Kathleen Wynne served as Ontario's Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, Minister of Transportation, and Minister of Education. And she, and she makes it look easy, doesn't she? Her positive leadership approach, personality, and energy may just be the inspiration that other women need to enter political races and win. A political role model, Ontario's 25th Premier knows the true meaning of public service. She was elected as a public school trustee in 2000 and was a community organizer and activist. She advocated for key issues such as better public education, so it should come as no surprise that she was one of the chief architects of the province's full-day kindergarten program. Before I relinquish the podium, I want to let our live audience know that the Premier has graciously agreed to take questions from you after her speech. Each of you should have a Q&A card at your table, so feel free to uh, write your questions down and the staff member will collect them. Now I'm pleased to welcome back to the Canadian Club of Toronto, Canada's podium of record, the Honourable Kathleen Wynne, Ontario's first female Premier. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. It is, uh, it's really humbling to be here, I have to, I have to say. It's a, it's a huge honour. And I, uh, I look out into this room and I see people from all walks of life and from uh, many backgrounds and people whom I've encountered in many, many ways. Some of you I don't know, but I know that you are all playing an important role in, uh, in building the civil society that we all aspire to. So thank you very much 
for being here. And I will just, I know Chris is running the uh, teleprompter, so um, he knows me, so he'll wait for a second, because I just want to say the picture from the Council of the Federation that I wish we had to, to, that you can now hold up at your meetings. The photographer got down one day. We had a we had an all women's picture taken, the the six of us, and he got down and took a picture of all of our legs. <laughs> and it, actually, it was a great picture. So, if I may say so myself. <laughs> um, so it's wonderful to be here. Good afternoon, bonjour, ami, bonjour. It's uh, really a pleasure to be gathering here with all of you on the on the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of the New Credit. And I uh, I want to thank Raylene and Leslie and Gordon for welcoming me here today and for all of the work that uh, that you do. And thank you so much. And it's it's such an honor to be here with this impressive group of men and women uh, and to receive this award that has been given to so many outstanding women in the past. Thank you so, so very much. And to be here with so many of my colleagues, uh, elected colleagues at the federal, provincial, and municipal level. Thank you, all of you, for being here. It's been sort of an incredible year for me, if I may say. Um, And I'd say for women in the political arena in the country, really. Last February, I became the first female Premier of Ontario, and I received that honour after engaging in what I think was a really serious, thoughtful, and spirited leadership race in which the other top contender was the impressive and incomparable Sandra Pupatello. And after... Yes, exactly. So that was the first piece of this uh, this year. After taking office, I was able to see my friend and colleague Deb Matthews, who's here as well, sworn in as Deputy Premier. Where is Deb? She's over there. There she is. In the spring, I engaged in serious negotiations with Andrea Horvath, the uh, leader of the NDP and last year's uh, award recipient. And... Uh, that was a very fruitful conversation. Our discussions led to the uh, budget being passed, and though we're in a minority legislature, we were able to and are producing real progress for the people in this province. And over the summer, I was lucky enough to host the Council of the Federation, which I just referenced, and uh, that meeting of the provincial and territorial leaders, as uh, as we've noted, um, for the first time had almost equal representation between men and women. So it was quite a remarkable thing to be there with five other female premiers. And I will say that some of the, some of you will know this, but the, uh, some of the um, people who had been there all along said that it was a different kind of discussion. It was a different kind of meeting because there were six women at the table. So I've had the the honor to have had a front row seat on some really proud moments, ones that mean a lot to me and ones that mean a lot to Ontario. So I'm very I'm very proud of that and I'm very happy about that. But I want to step back from the personal just for a moment because I want to talk a little bit about why it's so important. And Deb, in her introduction downstairs, um, hit on this. Why is it so important that we have better representation? Why is that an aspiration? Why is it so essential to all of us that there be women in these roles and that we continue to draw more women into the political process as voters, as candidates, as leaders? 
And from my perspective, it's not just, it's not about tokenism. It's not uh, the pursuit of some abstract goal. It's because the impact that we can have, the impact that we can make is critical. It's about our relationship to the issues and to, uh, to the way we approach each challenge. That that's why it's important. That's why it's so important that we continue to do this work. The research says, and I don't know if the research is, uh, has changed, but my understanding is that it's 30%. At 30% female representation, um, there's a, a critical mass that would make a visible impact on the style and the contact of political decision and content of political decisions. So, we're talking generally here, and I, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a huge fan of of broad sweeping generalizations, but that is that is based on evidence that's been gathered across the world that when there's that critical mass of 30% representation by women, there's a change in the issues that are focused on and in the way that decisions are made. So that's the goal. We want to get there because the nature of the work that we will be able to do because of that work, the changes that we'll be able to make. So that's our motivation. That's why this is important and that's why we have to keep being vigilant. So to get there, there's work to be done. And one of the things that we need to do is we need to blow up the myths that still block paths and undermine aspiration. One of the myths that I'm dealing with right now, and I'll be uh, straightforward with you, is the idea that a female leader can't make a, a forceful positive impact as steward of the economy. People will say to me flat out, people who are quite close to me, they'll say, Kathleen, we know you care about people, but we're just not sure that you can run the economy. And it's tempting to quote Sheryl Sandberg here and, and the need to lean in to that criticism. But I'm going to quote a Canadian leader instead, that other earlier Trudeau. Just watch me. <laughs> just watch me. for sure that I can make tough decisions. I know that we can attract business to Ontario and be the leader that our economy needs. But I also know that we need to blow up the myth that dealing with the economy, that finding solutions for this province at this unique time is some abstract financial exercise unconnected to the reality of our lives. That just is not true. We know it's not true. Women know it's not true. We understand that the social supports that we offer, the housing that we build, and I'll just note I'm going to be on the Habitat for Humanity Women build this afternoon, the education system that we support, the opportunities that we give people to live well and to work hard and to do their best, those things are absolutely tied to our economic prospects. They're all connected. It's not a separate discussion. The realities of our economic climate are writ large on the lives of the women in this province. They're written on the job prospects of their children, in their ability to care for their parents, in their treatment, uh, in their retirement funds, and in the amount of time it takes them to get to and from work and to pick up their children from school. All of these issues are apparent to women as economic issues, not social issues, not women's issues. If we address these challenges, and if we do, we will create jobs, we'll feed the economy, and we'll ensure Ontario's continued success. 
And so you're going to hear me talk a lot about this in the next little while. I have a plan to feed the economy, and it doesn't rely on slashing services or cutting programs. I don't think that's how we get there. It's about investing in people. It's about investing in their skills, their ideas, their capacity for greatness. It's about building the transit and the infrastructure that this province needs to move around, whether we're in the GTHA or whether we're in the north. We need those investments. So women don't have to sit through a two-hour commute to get to their jobs and back again to their kids. And so trucks trying to get through Kenora to the border don't have to sit on the highway, don't have to sit on bridges that are not, that are not sound. So all of that investment is critical. And it's about creating a dynamic, innovative environment where businesses can flourish, where we can broaden people's horizons. So this morning, when I was at the economic trade um, mission, we've ha we're having a reverse mission this morning, and we we're talking with people from around the world, those relationships are extremely important to our ability to succeed. So as a woman, as the premier, I'm working to change the way we approach our economic challenges because I understand how intrinsically our economy relates to real life, to real people. That's my motivation. That's my drive. And when I see the kids in the northwestern part of this province, or in the north in general, who have no hope of getting a job, if our resource development plan in the Ring of Fire doesn't go through, or I sit through presentations about addressing the poverty gap, and I think about women who are choosing between paying their bills and feeding their kids, you'd better believe I'm committed to fixing the economy. That's what it's about for me. Absolutely. So I am so thankful to receive this award. I'm grateful, I'm humbled, and to all of you for bestowing this honor on me. I'm committed to being a part of this cause and using my actions and my approach and my tone to attract more women into politics. But I know, and you know, that it's not always going to be easy. We're here today at the invitation of equal, equal voice, and I know from experience that raising our voices is important. But it's not always enough to simply raise your voice. Sometimes it's important to plug your ears. <laughs> we have to tune out the people who say we can't get there. In my career, I've refused, and there are people in this room. Howard Brown, I'm looking at you. <laughs> there are people in this room who have stood beside me while I've refused to listen to prevailing political wisdom to people who told me what kind of name they needed on the ballot to win, the things I was lacking as a candidate, and if we want to see more women in public life, if we want to raise our numbers and increase our impact at every level of political office in this land, then I think we're going to have to encourage women not to listen to those who tell them it can't be done. We have to shatter the myths that are put forward by experts. I love experts. Don't get me wrong. I love experts. I love the people in the back room. I love those strategists. But sometimes we just have to not listen to what they say, listen to the, not listen to everything that the strategists and the consultants and the talking heads say, those who say they know who can win and how. Those people didn't think I could win. Right from day one, they didn't want me. 
I wanted to run in my uh, in the riding at Do North Toronto riding of Don Valley West because I'm a lesbian. These experts did not think I could win in North Toronto. They wanted me to move. They wanted me to run in a more downtown riding. My children, however, lived in North Toronto, so I was staying. These same people will tell you that women need a lot of money, or they need a certain background, or they need the right connections, that they should seed the way to a star candidate. Not one of those things is true. And if we want more women to be successful, if we want more women candidates, we need to drown out that noise. We need to replace those stories with stories of how it can be done. Those are the stories that we need to talk about and how it has been done. So I'm going to tell those stories. I'm going to dedicate myself to showing that we can make a difference. I'm going to dedicate myself to showing that the impact that we can have and that real lives can be improved by the things that we do. Thank you, all of you, for walking down that road with me. Thank you so much for being the people who support this cause and who support the women, young, middle-aged, and older, because that's another myth we have, to, we have to deal with. We can all take part. Thank you for doing your part. Merci, miigwech. so much for um, your remarks. Um, we have a couple of questions here, so okay. thank you very much for taking questions. The, uh, thank you, Nick. First, another one from Nick. Uh, okay, thank you. I bet it'll be about housing. <laughs> <laughs> Our first question is, what collaborations between provinces will we see in light of the group of six? Well, I think that uh, I think that there's a, a great potential for collaboration. I, uh, you know, I'm I'm very eager. We're going to be having uh, the interim uh, gathering in the fall, and I'm very eager to um, pick up some of the threads of uh, of conversations that I had with with uh, Christy Clark, for example. We talked about um, our ability to talk about some trade issues that uh, that we need to we need to work on we need to resolve um, I was very encouraged by my conversations with uh, with premier Redford in terms of how we look at uh, energy across the country and that's not to say that uh, one is signing on to a particular strategy or a particular plan but I think the notion that we can find some common ground and that we can that we can move together on what we know is a, a national need I think uh, I think you will see I think you will see some progress on those fronts. That is certainly my intention. And I would just say on the, the, final, uh, the final issue, and this is, um, this is the uh, health uh, working group. Um, Deb Matthews, as our Minister of Health, is going to be working with our counterparts from the, uh, her counterparts from the other provinces. And it's one, of the, uh, it's one of the areas where, yes, Ontario can take a lead, but there's a lot of good work to be done in terms of sharing practices on, uh, on our ability to move forward on health. So I think that the the overall tone coming out of the Council of the Federation was one of wanting to find these places where we can agree. There were moments where there was a lot of disagreement in the room, but we're, we didn't dwell on those things. We moved on to the places where we could find some common cause, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to those ongoing discussions. 
Second question. Can you describe the challenge faced by the layers of government in supporting Toronto's transit infrastructure? <laughs> From collaboration to the opposite, really. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I will just I will just say on that that uh, it it only works to uh, you know we only find resolution to some of these contentious issues by. Uh, engaging in a, uh, an ongoing and a rational dialogue. And I've been a little worried about the discussion on this particular, because we're talking about one line. We're not talking about the whole transit plan. We're talking about one line. And I've been concerned that we haven't been able to have the kind of um, consistent dialogue that I, uh, that I would like. So I'd say the challenge is that there hasn't been a forum for that kind of discussion because you know, if we're going to build the transit that's needed in the GTHA for the next 30 years, we better find a way to discuss this with each other without the rancor and without the political posturing. So um, I will do what I can. I have tried at every juncture to say, okay, here's where we are now. How do we get to the next place? And I will continue to do that. My hope is that we'll come to some resolutions soon. Thank you. And we have some councillors in the room who I'm sure are going to help with that. And we have time for one last question. Um, what are your thoughts on getting over the barriers of the ring of fire? Well, and I, I would say that we are getting there. And uh, the reason I say that is that we have, uh, we have Frank Yacobucci and um, Bob Ray now working with our First Nations communities. And my contention since I was Minister of Aboriginal Affairs and before has always been that if we're going to be successful, if we're going to be successful in being able to extract that rich mineral deposit, and there's more than one, it's chromite, it's nickel, there's a, a, lot, of, uh, a lot of wealth there. And I'm looking at Chris, and you know more, you know, you know what's going on out there, Chris, and I, uh, I am very eager that we're able to do that. But if we can in the first instance, do the upfront work in terms of environmental work and relationship building with the First Nations so that the First Nations communities can take part in, not just benefit from something that somebody else is doing, but actually take part in the development of those resources, then we will, we will move forward much more quickly. If we don't do that, then we are going to be stalled and we're going to be playing catch-up and we're going to be having, um, we're going to be having reactions conversations where what we should be doing is what we're doing now which is getting those pieces in place and I just to be a little less abstract there are young people in all of the um, ring of fire communities and beyond who want to take part in this economic development but many of them are not at the stage in their lives where they can actually take part in the training for example they can't take part in um, heavy equipment training if they haven't had an opportunity to deal with substance abuse issues or they haven't been able to get uh, through the, the basic academic uh, uh, upgrading that they need. So those training issues and those health supports need to be in place and those are the issues that we're working on right now with First Nations communities and that will allow us to take part in this economic development uh, opportunity in a way that doesn't just benefit one sector but benefits everyone in the North 
and particularly those First Nations communities who will be most affected. Final word I will say on this in terms of the environmental protections. I do not want to be and I will not be the Premier who presides over the desecration of a water system, for example. So we need to get those environmental protections in place, make sure we've got it right before we move forward. Thank you very much. Merci Miguel. Now I'd like to call upon Raylene Lang-Dion, National Chair of Equal Voice, to say a few words. Merci beaucoup. It is you today, Premier, who truly honors Equal Voice by accepting this well-deserved award for all the reasons that people have discussed and, and uh, mentioned today. It's actually hard to imagine that with the inception of the Eve Award around 10 years ago, that it was considered to be a radical idea to have women with an equal voice at the political decision-making table. And remarkably, the success of Canada's female premiers, particularly you, Premier Wynne, is leading us into a time when women's leadership will not be considered to be a bonus, but it will be considered to be an essential component of a flourishing economy, of a robust corporation, and overall well-being of a country and its citizens. And that's why Equal Voice has recently launched Be Her, Support Her, Celebrate Her. If you can't be the woman who runs, you can, as a man or a woman, play a role in supporting a woman who's seeking to run. As well, you can celebrate the successes of those who do, celebrating like we are today by presenting the Premier with his prestigious award. Premier Wynne, you have shown all of us, most importantly the next generation, that what it's like to move from what used to be just considered the imagined into actually the, the reality of today. It is a privilege for us at Equal Voice to take this opportunity to applaud your leadership as both a premier and as a woman, as well as your commitment to doing things differently. And our commitment to you and to those people in this room is that we will not cease our work at Equal Voice until we have assured that six female premiers or more is not a deviation from the norm, but the actual norm. At Equal Voice, we are also turning the imagine into the reality together, and that includes working with you, Premier. Yes, leave your own mark politically, but please always remember that there are many, many young women who truly look to you as an inspiration. Thank you. May I please ask Leslie Byrne to join me?
On behalf of the Canadian Club and Equal Voice, I want to thank the Premier once again for being with us today and for her demonstration of leadership to the women and men across Canada. We wish you every success. Before we adjourn for lunch, I would like to invite you all to join me on October 1st when Toronto Community Foundation's President and CEO Rahul Bardwaj will reveal the findings of the 2013 Toronto's Vital Signs Report. This year's presentation titled, Are We Analog Players in a Digital World? will challenge our thinking about what we need to do to remain one of the most creative and civil societies in the world. To order tickets, please visit our website at canadianclub.org. We'd also like to draw everyone's attention to the Equal Voice table in the foyer. Please stop by, chat with the folks there, and pick up some information on the many programs Equal Voice runs. You can also visit equalvoice.ca to learn more about all of the great work that they do. This concludes our television programming, which will be broadcast on Rogers TV in the days to come. We continue to be grateful to Rogers TV and 680 News for, their, for the promotion of Canadian Club events. And now, ladies and gentlemen, please rise as you are able and join me in a toast to Canada. To Canada. Enjoy your lunch.